The following is an archival presentation of The Sands of Time, hosted by Joyce Johnson. Before her passing in 2014, Joyce spent more than 25 years recording interviews with her fascinating neighbors. WOMR is committed to preserving this archive and sharing it with our listeners. Some of the material has become dated, but it remains as interesting and vital as ever. This is Joyce Johnson with The Sands of Time, a program of oral history in which we interview our fascinating neighbors. Today we have dragged Rachel White back. She's been with us a number of times over the years, and it seems though every time I talk to her, something very interesting about the history of Provincetown, where she's lived all her life, comes forth, and she has agreed to talk about it. This uh, particular incident happened at a recent memorial service for the painter Lillian Olowski at the Art Association. A beautiful, it was a beautiful evening there with lots of reminiscences and we could certainly make hours of uh, stories from the tales they were telling. But um, because Lillian was a student of Hans Hoffman, that was part of the featured part of all of the discussions. And it turns out that Rachel lived right next door to Hans Hoffman when he was alive in the west end of Provincetown. And um, so she knew Lillian from way back when Lillian was studying with him. And I guess quite often she would go and work in his studio. Is that what happened? She must have been a special student if that happened. Yeah. He allowed them to use the garage studio or even the studio in the house anyway. Mm -hmm. And they would stay there and work late. Some would work into the evening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And said, oh, you also get, must have known Hans also. Right? Oh, very well. I knew yeah. him and Mizzy and their dogs. And uh -huh. uh, um, and he especially was fond of my sister-in-law. And he liked it when she came to visit because she came here as a German war bride. Oh. And she spoke no English when she got here. And Hans loved to speak to her because they, they could get caught up on the native language and talk all about the things that were happened back there in Germany before she left. And he, I think he really was very, very fond of her. More so than me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> our first about. introduction to, hand, uh, to hands wasn't such a pleasant one because when we moved into the house, and the house that we purchased belonged to Amy McCain, Bruce McCain's wife's oh, aunt, sure. Carrie Cowan, mm. and it had floated over from the point, but it hadn't been used for a long time. So when we moved in, apparently Hans' students didn't know that it was being lived in now, and we decided to make a garden in the corner lot where the students oftentimes sat outside the garage and painted. And we planted a garden. We couldn't understand why things were doing so poorly, so I suggested taking the soil up to the county purchasing for, for extension for testing. And they kept saying there was some oily substance there. Uh -oh. Well, our oil barrel wasn't there, so we knew there wasn't a leak. And so we kind of observed, and we saw the students just pitching their turps over the oh fence. Oh, my. So sure. When we told Hans Hoffman, he couldn't believe it, and he had to see it for himself, you right. know, so he wasn't too pleased until he learned it was true. Yeah. There was no big argument. It was just sort of, it set the tone for a little bit of tension. Yeah, sure. Because in those we, days, also, we weren't that... Uh, no, we weren't environmentally we were, conscious no, about no. this stuff. We were just concerned that the things weren't growing well, and why not? Because yeah. it looked like very rich soil. Mm -hmm. So um, <laughs> that was a little tension there, but... Um, 
and I had been doing other kind of academic studies, so it didn't occur to me that I wanted to be his student then, but that came later when Lillian couldn't understand why I would even not do that. So I didn't really start to study with him until his later teaching years. He was almost at the end of his teaching years, and by then, um, Ms. had died, and he was married to Renata at that time, or just prior to that. Mm -hmm. So... Oftentimes she would have sudden guests, and she didn't. wasn't always prepared. And she would either go to John O'Donnell's, which was formerly Perry's Market Store down there on the waterfront. And if he was closed, and these guests came on a Sunday, then one day Lillian was there working, and she said, "Why don't you ask the woman next door? She's got a whole push of kids. She must have crackers or something." <laughs> So Missy rapped at the door and she said, do you have Reitz crackers? I need some Reitz crackers. <laughs> so I did. Uh -huh. I had crackers and cereal and all that stuff that kids eat with peanut butter. So I gave her that and a jar of peanut butter. And, and so from that time forward, then we were better friends. You oh, know? that's cute. And um, then, of course, when that was that heist, that theft yeah, tell me work. about that. Uh, a lot of work was um, stolen from Hans' There was a lot of work studio. stolen, and there were major pieces being taken down the back stairwell, but that was not an uncommon situation for us to see that because oftentimes the vans would move in the middle of the night. There was less traffic, so they would come in and take the work out if he was going to take them off yeah, to a major show and off that, they I go. Think, yeah. So we heard a racket outside one night, and I was the one that got up and Bob said, what's going on out there? And I said, oh, there's some guys taking stuff down the back stairway. He must be having a show, and they're putting him in the van and they're on Nicholson Street. The next day, we learned, of course, that it was a major heist. We couldn't see the face as well because they were kind of in shadow. And so um, f for the next two nights, so the police camped out in my bedroom just in case they should have the audacity to try to come back and take things that they forgot in the early theft, but they didn't. So, mm -hmm. And they did learn who those people were, and they did do serve some time for that. And uh, um, that's and they got the pieces back, and I think, they got the pieces they? back, yes, they did. Was that after he had died or passed away? Oh, no. He, they, he, was, still, he was still no, alive he was then? Living. He was living. How long ago did he die? Oh, let's see. Mm. You still live there? Up near oh, I still live in that yeah. property. That yeah, there. we still live there. And, of course, now the property's all been condoed. Oh, really? And um, so it's not quite the same. I did yeah. paint it myself before they did all that and it uh -huh. was in one of the shows. In fact, I think it was judged by Tony Beavis because he'd been a student there, so he uh -huh. selected that. It was the bat from my backyard. It was the stairway. And, uh -huh. You know. Huh. But, um, William was quite a gal. Yes, and, her, and of course, uh, she, her husband was uh, William Freed. William Freed. And well, well, I didn't know that until later. Really? <laughs> oh, while they... While he was alive, she more or less uh, had a back seat. Uh, and it's only actually in the last decade that she has really mm -hmm. come, f uh, been totally recognized. Uh, one of the comments that they were making, many people made at the memorial service was that um, she was so honest, that mm -hmm. she was so direct, and people loved that in her, right. and that she always supported the side of the artist even above her own uh, mm -hmm. prominence or what have you, even after Freed died. Well, she was unpretentious, and she didn't like anybody who had highfalutin ideas, but right. she always said she remembered her poor background. Uh -huh. And uh, she always felt a common place with a lot of the people who lived here, fishermen mm -hmm. and all, because they were poor. Mm -hmm. And um, and they it was kind of survival for them because the fishermen gave them fish and so forth, and they often traded 
paintings and work. I wasn't smart enough to think about that then, so yeah, I missed really? that. There were a few times I did that later, but I yeah. missed it in those times. Right. Um, Tell about the what uh, Bill used to do when you know they were so poor that a lot of the artists would go down to the docks and uh, when the fishing boats came in those days because those were this, so wonderful. I mean, hundreds of pounds of fish came in every day. There was no question about the amounts. And, but so a lot of artists would go down there and, like I say, sort of look up with appealing mm -hmm. eyes and uh, they'd throw them a fish. Well, it was very cheap. The fish was cheap by the standards of today per pound, but mm -hmm. um, all the fishermen did that. But this one man went down all the time. And at that time, my husband was doing commercial fishing with his, and his uncle's boat, Joe Corey, the Papa Joe. And this man would go down daily with his bicycle, this little guy with his basket on his bicycle. And one day, Bob said, well, come down and pick me up after we're through mending nets. So I went down. He said, oh, here comes Charlie. He wants some fish. So they put the fish in the basket, and off he went. And I said, who is that man? And he said, Charlie Fish. Well, I believed that. So many moons later, I was in the backyard talking to Lillian, who was working in the studio, and as she was working along comes this man, and oftentimes he shared that fish with the Hoffmans. So I said, here comes Charlie Fish. Now there was a long silent pause. You were with Lillian. With Lillian. Yeah. And the hesitation, and she looked at me and she said, what did you say his name was? <laughs> I said, Charlie Fish. She said, oh my God, I've been living all these years with an imposter. <laughs> he told me his name was Bill Freed. <laughs> Well, of course, I was in bed, and needless to say, I wanted to kill my counterpart, so I said to him later, how did he get that name? He said, you know, everybody has to have a nickname in Provincetown, so that was the nickname we gave him. He said he came down daily. We didn't know his first name. We called him Charlie. <laughs> so each time I saw him after that, he never resented it. He let me call him Charlie. <laughs> you know, that whole nickname thing is funny. Mm -hmm. It came out in the story. And he was also... Um, an accomplished cabinet maker, and I had been Bill over Freed. to Bill Freed, yeah. and I had been over to her place on Brewster Street, and she showed me some of the beautiful pieces that he did, inlaid work. It was just exquisite. It was something to behold. And she said, "Well, he did a lot of those things early on because it was he was resourceful. They didn't have money to buy furniture, but right. he was so good at it. He'd right. apparently been a carpenter or something. Right. But many years, in fact, not too many years ago." I would oftentimes see her up at Herring Cove. She'd go for the sunset, sometimes with friends, sometimes by herself. And um, that's why I, it made me chuckle when I heard someone at the memorial service say she always said she was going to walk. She'd eat bagels and cheese and say, I need to walk. Well, I would talk to her sometimes up there, and we were eating too. And she'd say, you know, I really need to walk. I said, I do too. But you know what happens when you walk or run? You get shin splints. You hurt your <laughs> that's knees. What she said. No, I said it. And no. she said, that's good. That's good. Now I know why I don't really walk too much. <laughs> Well, she lived to be in the late 80s. I was uh, making so. excuses for the both of us because we, neither one of us wanted to do that. And occasionally I would meet her up at, um, well, we always called it Henry Helmer's because he was the guy who took care of the, the province lands out there. And then it became Beach Forest later. But she'd go up there a lot and just sit quietly and read, meditate, and sometimes with her friends. So this one day she was up there. And um, she was kind of sad. And I said, what's the matter, Lily? You don't feel well today? She says, oh, no, I'm okay. But when I came in from New York, the Brewster place had been broken into, and they stole the things that Freed had made. 
and out I said, oh, they're out of the, out of the house. And she, and she said, well, you know, I can't replace them. He's gone. And what can I do? She said, but they were beautiful pieces that I'll certainly miss. And I hope, I don't know if I'm allowed to say no swears. No swears. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, then I'll refer to it. She said, but I hope the son of a um, that took the stuff are either enjoying it or they're enjoying the money they made of the sale of it <laughs> because they're gone. But I'll hold the memories of those pieces always close to my heart. Sure, sure. So, you know, she was really an, uh, an ageless lady. Chronologically, she was up there in years, but she was ageless. She yeah. fit in everywhere. She loved everybody. Yeah. And the legacy of her life that she has left replaces any amount of wealth because she's well-known everywhere. Her work is well-known the world over. And what better legacy can you leave in this lifetime right. than something like that? Uh, I heard a couple of things that I didn't know about. One was the story about <clears throat> why uh, she had disenfranchised with her brother. Oh. And it turns out that for many, many years her mother was ill. And she took care of her. She was the lone uh, uh, custodian of her mother and took care of her. But the mother died at 102 years old. And her brother called her and said to her, if you'd taken care of, better care of mother, she would have lived a lot longer. <laughs> that was well, that's how some brothers are. You yeah, know, they're the a little other, ungrateful. The other great story was um, about her father, who was from Poland, I guess. And... He had was put in jail. Do you remember what he was put in jail for? Anyway, he he was sent to Siberia. Uh, the, the, he wasn't put in jail. He went to Siberia, and somehow he got out of <coughs> Siberia, uh, that particular detention place, and walked hundreds of miles mm -hmm. and came to the United States that way, and uh, had no money, and I guess he met his wife to be uh, Lillian's mother in San Francisco or someplace in California, I believe, and they lived on. And then they were there, and there were some earthquakes, and they didn't like that, so they came to New York to live, and that's where she lived all her life. Well, it was that kind of intestinal fortitude that caused a lot of people to survive, sure. you know. Yeah. And uh, then there was another time when my grandson was going to be bar mitzvahed. My daughter's a Jewish convert, and so, uh -huh. and I, we were going to be allowed to recite an aliyah, but I needed some help with the Hebrew. So I talked to her about it, and she helped me through some of the words and the passages so that by the time I got to do the presentation, the Jewish grandfather said, God, I fumbled all over the place. How did you manage to do that so well? I said, oh, I had a very good teacher. Oh, that's great. Great. That was only a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. She but, was um, quite a gal. She was a gal, quite a gal, fit in everywhere. Everybody I thought she was a wonderful painter, actually. I, yeah. I prefer her work to her husband's. I did, too. But yeah. there again, when you mentioned that, most of the women in those times um, kept a low profile. Yeah. Well, they still do today. And they still do. I mention who, but uh, and, and, uh, it's sort of sad. Many of them even used male names uh -huh. on their paintings. When they finally... When they yeah, but, yeah. Um, it was a sad commentary, and I can think of a few here right now as we speak, and I'm yeah. not going to mention the names because they're still surviving, right. that have done that. I, I agree. And since their husbands have passed away, they're now beginning to come into their own, but they could have, you know, done it a yeah. long time ago if they were given the advantage. Yeah, it's sort of sad because yeah. you don't like to think of someone mm -hmm. sitting there sort of restrained yeah. for no reason, really. Mm -hmm. To me, it's no reason. 
this should be an equal place for everybody. They shouldn't. It shouldn't be either one or. Well, when we're always considered second-class citizens, we've made great <laughs> strides, but we got a long way to go. You've lived here. You were born here born in Provincetown. Born here. Um, I'll be seventy-one in December. I don't oh, even you. know how I got here so fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you, but you're painting and printmaking a lot now, aren't you? More so. I mean, I always studied. I found the time to study when I was raising a family of five, but I didn't always put everything to practice. Um, I did some, but not as much as I would have liked to. I wasn't religiously devoted every day. Right. But, um, and I learned whatever I could from whomever. And some of them were great area artists, and I really am proud to say, and some of them have gone now, that I had the op- opportunity to study with them, some privately, some in groups, and some, you know, whatever, however I could do it. And um, and I still appreciate what everybody does and mm-hmm. the process to it and their approach to it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can't not live here and be not be absorbed by all of this that happened around us. Mm-hmm. You know, it was going on, well, since I was a little kid, in fact, when they were at us on the beach, they would ask my sister and I sometimes to pose, and we thought it was a big deal that we'd get 10 cents or 20 cents mm-hmm. or whatever, run mm-hmm. up to the store and buy an ice cream cone mm-hmm. or whatever. And there was a lot more of them on the beaches in those days. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them down by in between the two piers, because we didn't have the parking lot then, are on the other side of Land's End, right. where there was Hilliard's Wharf, and um, there was always people painting there. Why do you think they're, they're, you don't see many people on the beach anymore? That's well... Um, I think it became a lost method for a while. People became studio painters, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure why they weren't doing such plenty, but it seems to be making a comeback again. Mm-hmm. I, know, I don't uh, know whether people just didn't want to do it, and um, it it is uh, it's a challenge, mm-hmm. and you have to deal with the elements sometimes and the bugs. Maybe because and all actually things. there's no prominent teacher now well, that's also probably uh, true that's probably one yeah. of the reasons who yeah. almost forced you uh henry henshi yeah. and um i don't know did colin he didn't teach much did he locally but it wouldn't have been, it would have been abstract anyway who Carl knaths oh Carl knaths yeah no i don't think he no, did no he, he was, was a wonderful man though lived yeah, up in the man. west end Every day at 4 o'clock, you could set your watch. He would walk, take his daily yeah. constitutional with his little walking stick. Yeah, down but Commercial Street. Down right? Commercial yeah. Street. Yeah. I think... Um, do you, have you noticed other changes uh, here in town? What do you think about all the big buildings that are going up? What do you think about all the big, you know, all these condos and... Well, there you know, we always just change. Nobody likes changes, especially <laughs> when they're dramatic. And and uh, it's a different place sometimes. I keep telling myself that it's... Uh, but everything's cyclical, I think. Um, mm. Some years from now, we're going to... I won't be here, but those people that I will think these are the best things that ever happened to the town, they won't know what they missed. Mm-hmm. And if somebody talks about wanting to demolish them or change them, they'll probably get crazed, mm-hmm. like we do now. But there is kind of a village sense. There's a little... And there's a lot of absentee landlords. And, of mm-hmm. course, I think they're probably preparing for a day when they're going to retire and maybe come here themselves. And I guess from a business point of view, that's not bad. But from a, a community mm-hmm. point of view, I think we've lost a lot. Mm. Um, they, there's a lot of cash money and cash flow and things. And mm-hmm. you can't cite them if they're lucky enough to have it. It's just that... Um, 
most of the people who have been here any length of time are trying to hang on to even survive here now because taxes when once this building happens and everything escalates the values escalates the taxes go yeah. up and all of those things so it's all kind of relevant um like everything else we'll probably adjust we don't have a choice we'll have to adjust but we can like some things and not like others it's like anything else we like some people we don't like others but it's um it's the way of life and there isn't much that we can get up and scream loud about it and go to town meeting and fuss but it's the majority vote that counts and that seems to be what prevails here now mm -hmm. so uh, if you're asking me do i like it there are some places that i think they've made better there are other places that i think They've lost the charm. Yeah, that's, that's and, a hard one. And when that's the hard thing to, to see happen. You, you can be thankful that the old houses are all being kept up so incredibly. They are know, being kept up. The yards are beautiful. You yeah, know, we've lost beautiful some gardens. beautiful trees, but there's more beautiful gardens. Yeah. That you can see this by the garden um, walks that they have in the summer. Yeah. And um, we've got great neighbors. They're trying to keep their things as best they can and as close to the original as they can. Mm -hmm. And um, so we just have to move on. Mm -hmm. Your own house, uh, you say, was uh, one of the ones was floated over floated from the over point? Floated over at the point. Of course, there were times, I must confess, when I said, God, they should have left the darn thing <laughs> over there to float out on the tide. But we didn't really want to do too much to it and mm -hmm. haven't. And there was a, t you know, now though comes the moment of truth when I think people, we should have made some little rental or something there which would then supplement uh, the small income. Yeah. And now it would be harder than ever. Yeah. In fact, there's only one of us out of my five siblings left. She's my sister and she's widowed in New Jersey. And I keep telling her she needs to come back. And she said, listen, I can't think of one place down there that's worth a million dollars. So if I had a little separate apartment for her that she could mm. have her own space, I would like that. But I don't even dare to attempt that now mm -hmm. because I'm sure we'd run into a great deal of opposition simply because it was one of those floated over from the point. Maybe, but the other thing is that they do allow what they call grandmother's apartments, I believe, if it's for a member of the family. Well, I, I know in Truro you can do that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Where you wouldn't else be able to have a unit that's yeah. living. You can under that. Well, I guess I could ask my husband's child, because she's mine too, <laughs> I'm using this as a euphemism because she's down in the regular de Dory department at Town Hall. Uh -huh. Every time I mention it, she says, Mother, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't do that. She's so super sensitive, I'm sure, if she works down there. <laughs> of course, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, Well, you worked at Town Hall for a number of years yourself. Oh, yeah. How many well, years were you there? Oh, let's see. I don't know, probably 15 or 16. But yeah. it, I was working for a lot of the town managers, assistant town managers, acting town managers. <laughs> I did that myself on occasion. Uh -huh. And they came and went like the changing of the guard. I remember. It was an interesting place. I never meant to stay there. Mm -hmm. I had been challenged. This was a feminine thing now. My husband said when I told him I was going to apply, you can't get that job. You've been out of that market. You can't do that. Uh -huh. Well, it did. that was the wrong thing to say yeah. to me. <laughs> so I had been interviewed. There was about eight or nine people. And I got the job, and then I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? Mm -hmm. I really didn't want it, but I didn't dare to back Huge down now. Job. And when it was Ann Phelps, and she said, well, you can start on Monday. This was Friday afternoon. And <laughs> so I did, you know, and uh, it was a challenge, and it was interesting, and mm -hmm. I loved it. And um, you have to like what you do. There's not a, it's sometimes a thankless job, but you mm -hmm. have to, to uh, put your whole self into it and do the best you can do. That's all anybody can do. 
And Do you think um, things are pretty going pretty stable uh, right now? Yeah, I now? think they're pretty stable. Um, there are certain things, and of course, when I was there, I was always having to temper tempers because no matter what happened, everybody wanted to kill a manager. As far as they were concerned, everything was his fault. So, and there are some things that are, it's beyond his control. But I think, on the face of it, um, of course, all the spending that's happened, we've all put our hand up at town meeting and agreed to that. So um, we have to pay the piper when that happens, mm -hmm. and this is what's going on. But I think I think things are much more stable because when I first got there. The financial books and everything were in such chaos that it took like a month of Sundays to even get those heard, straightened out. Yeah. With the, I heard that there were like no no books oh, or anything. Oh, they were. Well, we had some people. People many years prior to that were very efficient, but then for a while they had a few people that were totally inefficient, mm -hmm. and that's what caused that chaos. Mm -hmm. So it took a while to undo that, mm -hmm. and I think now that uh, things are on a pretty even keel. You know, or at Keith, least from Keith's outward appearance. Ten years or so by now, I think Keith. Oh Berlin. yeah, he's been there at least that. Yeah. Sure. I think that helps. I think sometimes you know. that's a problem, but but he seems fairly yeah. steady. And well, his problem, of course, is that it was he's done better. He's made a lot of strides. Yeah. But he couldn't relate to people in the beginning, yeah. you know, and that was kind of his unhinging. But he's mm -hmm. he's he's seems to come around, come around and do better at yeah. least. Do you, do you have any uh, vision of what's going to happen to this town, or if anything? Well, I never like to look too far in advance, but nothing <laughs> ever surprises me anymore. Nothing that I see and hear is is there's no suspense left. You right. know, I just sort of go with the flow, as they say, and right and see where it hap what happens. And have your family, most of your children, have they stayed here in town? Only two. One uh -huh, stayed in the five. police department, and one's in Maxine, but she's in the regulatory department in town. My son's in Connecticut, gets home every chance he gets, lives on the water, uh -huh. but there's no water like Provincetown. Right, right. And um, one's in Annapolis, and one's in Alabama. Wow. And, and, of course, I was talking to my sister. We always lived under the threat of war, it seemed, after the Depression times. It was Second World War, then it was mm -hmm. Korea, then it was Vietnam, and then it was mm -hmm. all these other skirmishes, and my son was in during the, the desert storm, and here we go. I said, you know, I hope someday this there's going to be universal peace and I hope somebody come, gets in there that's going to bring it about pretty darn soon yes we can all pray for that so Rachel it looks as though we're done with our half an hour and I'm delighted you came back again and we'll have you periodically to keep us updated with what's going on in town here well I'm always I'm always it's always my pleasure to come in and speak to you two gals it's <laughs> great it's a great and WLMAS a great radio program it's, it's really, free and it's wonderful yeah it is our guest today on the Sands of Time has been Rachel White, a, a lifetime resident of Provincetown and involved with many aspects of this wonderful town. The Sands of Time is a program of oral history in which we interview our fascinating neighbors. Diana Fabry has been the engineer and your host is Joyce Johnson. Thank you for being with us.
We hope you enjoyed this episode from the archives of Joyce Johnson. Although some of the material may have been dated, we here at WOMR think it's important to continue to share it with our listeners.